Well, I want us to open up our Bibles. Thank you, Pastor Aaron, for the opportunity to, to preach, and I'm glad that it is summertime. Can I get an amen? Sure doesn't feel like it, though, does it? <laughs> yeah, uh, we do have Papa Snows out there. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> Probably grabbed them on the worst day of the year, but, but they're out there, and uh, you can certainly pick that up. Actually, all the kids get free. You got to pay but all the kids get a free uh, snow cone or shaved ice. Uh, But as I'm thinking about summertime and as we get into this message here, uh, I have a lot of thoughts that are rolling around in my brain, and as my wife can attest to, that's normal for me. But as as we're moving out of this COVID season, can I get an amen for that? Yes. As we are moving out of this COVID season, I I started looking back just uh, on uh, kind of the past when these kinds of situations happen. You know, last time when this happened uh, back in 1918, uh, the thing that followed that was the Roaring Twenties. How many people were alive for that? Okay. <laughs> yeah, the Roaring Twenties, right? Uh, even if we go back way earlier than that, we, we look at the, the Black Plague, right, and, and that whole situation. But right after that situation was the Renaissance period. There's something about coming out of these seasons that we just want to escape. <laughs> we just want to have fun. We just want to play. How many people got vacation plans? Yeah, amen. Yeah, there's a lot of people that aren't here right now because they're on vacation already. And, and so as I'm looking at that, though, and as I look at the history and what it looks like after some of these situations, some of the things that, that transpired after these situations were escapism and people pursuing fun but people getting less religious. See, we're, we're primed to act selfishly. We're primed to act selfishly. Most adults are going to act like teenagers. <laughs> That's really what, what is going to happen. I'm just telling you right now. I'm not speaking prophetically. I'm just saying I see it happening already. But as I think about the summertime, and uh, when, I was, when my mom had passed away, I was 23 years old, and my friend Doug Shelley would come over to my house and he'd help me to get my house together to sell. It was just my, me, my sister, who was 19 at that point, and a baby. Uh, my, my niece was three months old when my mom passed away. So there was a lot going on in my life. But there was once that, that same summer that there were bad storms that were coming in. In fact, there were tornado warnings. And, and so uh, we did what any um, early 20s would do. We went outside to watch. And so as we went outside, it actually touched down in our development in our development over in Mechanicsburg, it was crazy. My, my, me and my friend Doug Shelley were sitting there, we're watching the clouds, and you can hear it coming, and, and it, it comes down, and it picks up this massive tree. I mean, this tree, it was like the biggest tree in the whole development, and no joke, the diameter was like the size of this platform, huge tree. This thing comes down, lifts up this tree off, out of the ground, and lays it on their car and on their garage. It was nuts. I, I was just amazed, and, and uh, as any... Early 20s, would do. I was like, whoa, that was awesome, wasn't it? Like, not for them, it wasn't. And so I got my friends together. I did help, okay, I did help. I got chainsaws together, and, and we went down, and we helped to cut up this tree. But as I was standing there, I was looking around, and I saw all these other trees in the development. And I'm like, it picked up the biggest tree in the development. Of course, we can start to think, well, wind shear and, you know, try to get all scientific about it. And I'm looking around, I'm going, yeah, but look at all these other little trees. I mean, why didn't it pull these ones up? I realized something, shallow roots, shallow roots. The roots of this thing only went maybe like four feet down in the ground. I mean, this tree was massive. It had, you know, all the flowers, all the the foliage and everything, but it got ripped up and thrown down. 
And so it's weird for me to do this on Memorial Day weekend, but here's the message that God's really given me for us as we move into this summer. Deep roots. Deep roots. I know we're, we're about to go on vacation. We're about to have some fun. I mean, we're about to be released into this world uh, from quarantines and whatever else we've been going through. Uh, but I, I want to encourage you, don't take a vacation from your faith. God, God has some amazing things in store for us. And, uh, you know, even as I think about the church, we've grown as a church through this season, which has been amazing. God is doing some incredible things right here at Wrightsville Assembly of God. And uh, as I see the growth, I went to a, a minister's summit with Pastor Aaron, and, and some of the other ministers were asking us, because this is not the norm. Let me just tell you, this is not normal across the landscape of America. God's doing something unique here. And, uh, and they asked me why I feel like this is happening. And, and the first thing that came to my head is good roots. Good roots. You know, there, there's been a lot of people that have been wishy-washy, a lot of things that have been happening, but I feel like, and it's been difficult, I feel like we've been really grounded as a church. And so if you're new with us, you're coming in on the backside of something incredible. And I believe it's the beginning of something incredible that God is about to do here in the church. Uh, but I'm going to sound pessimistic saying this, but I don't want us to have shallow roots we can have amazing growth, and it can look big on the outside, but if we're not going deep, then it's all for naught. <laughs> That's just how it is. We've grown, but it shouldn't be superficial growth. There's a, a verse of Scripture when I first got saved that stuck with me my entire life so far, and it's in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 and 8. It says, But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots. Look at that. Sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. I don't know about you, but I want that to be what my life looks like. That I would never fail to bear. It doesn't matter what happens on the outside. What happens to you does not have to be the same thing as what happens in you. That's just truth right there. I mean, there are external things that can happen, but if you're rooted, it doesn't matter. Instead of being pulled up and thrown away, you're actually spreading your fruit everywhere and throwing seeds and scattering. See, there's grape, grapevines. A lot of times these are talking about grapevines. And, and the amazing thing about grapevines, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but, but uh, the root system goes down about 15 feet. 15 feet that goes down. So you can see, like, the, the ground may be parched, and it's really dry out, and still, somehow, this grape plant is producing grapes, and it's amazing, and that's what our lives should look like. Here's the thing. Short platitudes are not going to get it done. Fast food Christianity is not going to work. See, we've lost our ability to think deeply and have deeper, more meaningful, thoughtful approaches and conversations. You know, as, as I was thinking about that and looking into Scripture, A.W. Tozer talks about somebody who's a textualist. Let me tell you what he said. A textualist is a person who assumes that because he affirms the Bible's veracity, that he automatically possesses the things of which the Bible speaks. In other words, too many people live as though affirming biblical truth is equivalent to actually having it. You guys are looking at me like, oh, great, where's he going? <laughs> yeah. I was, this was a rude awakening one morning when I was laying next to my wife. <laughs> she, 
we were talking about the word. That, last time I was up here, I shared that God shared a word with me personally for my life and for this year. And the word is listen. The word is listen. And uh, I really feel like God has been doing uh, just a work inside of me based on this. And, and uh, I thought I was doing pretty good until my wife said, do you think God will give you that word for next year since you're not getting it? <laughs> I don't know if that's how God works, but probably, yeah. So obviously just because God gives me a word doesn't mean I have it yet. <laughs> and I think that's how we are. But I want to encourage you, don't get caught up in working harder to change the fruit. Get to the root. You know, I, I thought about all kinds of different scriptures that I could share today. I thought about like Galatians 5, 22 and 23, you know, but the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I could go through those, or, or, or I could go to John chapter 15, where it talks about abiding in, in Jesus, abiding in that deep root work. And where God took me is a little bit different from that. I'll be honest with you, though, like if you try to change your fruit, look out. I prayed for patience. I got my son gray. <laughs> it's, just, it's just how God works sometimes, right? He, he wants to do a root work in your life so that you would have fruit. Luke chapter 13, if you have your Bibles, you can go there. Luke chapter 13, we'll start in verse 6. Luke 13, verse 6. And we'll see how far I get in this service. But then he told this parable. This is Jesus telling a parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. Now, it's important with any parable to kind of figure out who the people are in, in the parable. And with this situation, God the Father is the one looking and, and looking for the fruit. And Jesus is the one who's coming and saying, no, just leave it alone for one more year. I, I want to talk about something. One of the things I want to talk about is the wrath of God. Ooh, that sounds exciting, right? Everybody's like, great. The wrath of God. And what I want to tell you about the wrath of God, because that's what it's talking about. There's going to be a day where it will be cut down and it will be thrown away. And we, we don't like that. But praise God for the one more year that God gives us. You know, sometimes when we think about the wrath of God, we think about like fire down from heaven burning people up, right? Like that's what we think about. You know, Genesis chapter 6, it takes six chapters before God takes out the whole human race with a flood, you know? Talk about the wrath of God, but what we forget is he gave them a hundred years to repent. The Israelites, they're out in the middle of the wilderness for 40 years, and, and God over and over again is giving them opportunity. So the word for the wrath of God in Scripture is actually a gradual storing up. The picture is actually like a fruit that's swelling. And, and that's what the wrath of God looks like. It's not like just all of a sudden you get mad and, ah, got him on Facebook. Just kidding, just kidding. But, but that's what we think about when we think about the wrath of God. Take them out, right? That's what we think about. But God is so patient with us. He is so patient with us, including me. And I have to tell you, as I'm preaching this word, whenever I preach a word, I allow God to do root work in me first. And the more I open this up, it's like laying next to my wife. She tells me the truth that I didn't even know about. But uh, as I look at that, there's, there's two things that I want to talk about here with with this. The first thing was to dig around it. 
to dig around it. Superficial change may not take much effort or time, but changing how we think and how we instinctively respond requires discipline, accountability, and determination. Uh, when I think about this, I think about weeding. You know, how many people got to go out right now and they got to weed. They got to kind of pull up stuff that should not be there. Whenever I think about weeding, I have some terrible memories because that was like public punishment for me. Whenever I got in trouble, I was told to go outside and weed. And, and kids, no joke, I had river rock. So we had those thick, I would come in with bloody fingers from like trying to get down in there and weed that stuff. And it was terrible because all the neighbors knew when I was in trouble. Chris, what'd you do now? You know, and they see me out there weeding getting all mad, but, but that's work. That takes work. Our spiritual lives can get compacted and hard. Sending roots takes work and energy. It's an investment. But the second thing that he said there was, was fertilize it. And I think I like the, the King James version better. It says dung it. Yeah, poop, manure. I looked into the Greek word for that. It means poop. Yeah, dig around it, and put poop in it. You know, I was, I was driving with my son the other day, and, and uh, like I said, it doesn't go 10 seconds that he doesn't say something. <laughs> and so I know when, when it, he's been quiet for a while that he's thinking. And I look in the back, and I see his little face looking out the window, watching things go by like this. And, uh, and I said, buddy, what's going on? He said, hey, Dad, is God camouflaged? I said, wow, that's a good question. I mean, how do you answer that to a, well, he's omnipresent, son. You know, no. Like, uh, you don't. There's just, it's tough to explain that. And then the other day he was looking around, he goes, Dad, what's all that brown stuff they put on the field? I said, well, Gray, that, that's poop. That's manure. And he goes, I'm not eating corn anymore. <laughs> but that, that's what we do, right? We see it happen, and they're spreading it. Trust me, I live in Lancaster County. I can smell it all over the place. But, but there's a reason why they put that there. There's a reason. People grow in the fertilizer of pain. Fertilizer and dung and manure, you know, the poop of your life can be the things that God uses to create fruit in your life. See, there's a reason why we absorb the nutrients. There are nutrients that actually need to be absorbed from the junk, from the stuff in your life. N.T. Wright, like one of the most prominent uh, theologians, New Testament theologians, really alive today, was asked just recently in an interview what he thought, how he thought we should respond as we come out of this COVID season into the next. And he had one word for them, lament. Lament. We don't like that. Not as Americans. Heck no. Let's move forward. Let's go on vacation, right? He, he said lament. There, there is grieving that needs to happen. There are things that have been lost that we are upset about and he said, like, there's a whole book of Lamentations. How many people read that one today? Yeah, that's what I thought. There's, there's a whole two-thirds of the Psalms are Psalms of lamentation, of lament, grieving. There's a revelation of God that only comes through grief and loss. We need to grieve. Let me just tell you that we need to grieve. We have our, our Circle of Hope ministry, our cancer ministry that, that met here just last week. And as we were discussing around the circle, one of our wonderful members of that group passed away, Kendra Holcomb. And we just had an incredible discussion on grief. Listen, grief isn't just when somebody passes away. You can grieve when you lost your favorite pencil. <laughs> 
I mean, there's loss in our lives. There are things that we've lost in this past year that we need to just come to terms with and realize. And remember, what I'm saying is I've realized that at times of grief that I didn't grieve. In fact, there was, a, there was a grief counselor after my mom passed away that came to my door three times in a row, and I turned her away because I'm like, I got this, okay? I, I got this. No, I'm strong. I'm taking care of things and everything. Finally, by the third time, I let her in. It's like something's going on deep inside of me, and I, and I don't really understand what's going on. She goes, I do. It's grief. That's what that is. Enduring pain is one of the ways, if not the main way, God works his grace deeply into our lives. If you look at Acts chapter 9, verse 16, the apostle Paul gets knocked off his high horse. He, he's blind, and the person who's supposed to pray for him to receive his sight back, and, and he's about to get released off into his years of ministry, He's told this, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Welcome to ministry. (laughs) Right? Like, really? I'm going to show him how much he's got to suffer. But here's the thing. We have to be careful in how we're living out our theology of suffering. We're not pursuing suffering. We're pursuing Jesus. We're not pursuing persecution. Nobody's looking to be persecuted. Our suffering is motivated by our love. We suffer because we love people even our enemies. If we aren't aware of the powerful forces at work under the surface of our lives, we'll be caught off when we encounter pain. We'll be reactive and defensive instead of wise and strong. Now, I want to share with you guys the importance of context of Scripture because when I'm talking about this parable in Luke chapter 13, it's important to know why he's telling this parable. Basically, people are coming to him and they say, well, they're, they're asking him about sin. Basically, there was a bunch of Gentiles that got killed, not Gentiles, Galileans, that got killed. And then they mixed their blood with the sacrifices. What about those people? And he said, they, a, it doesn't matter what happened to them. The importance was that they repented, that they wouldn't perish. And he says, well, what about the people that, that this tower fell on these 18 people and killed them? A natural disaster. It's the things we all do. Question why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? And he always pointed them back. He's like, it's still important that they repent. And they understand that. This parable is about repentance. That's not something we talk about very often, is it? It's not something we think about, but that's some of the deep root work that God does in our lives. This is talking about repentance. Inner repentance leads to external demonstration of righteousness. Now, without going too deep into this, because I've thought about this a lot and prayed about this a lot, roots that have been revealed in the Western church during this season over the past year, there, there have been some things revealed. There's been a digging around, and there have been some roots that have been revealed. And one of those roots that I see that's very prominent in the Western church is a root of bitterness, pharisaical pride. You know, Christians are just as susceptible to pride as anyone else. Sometimes we think we're growing, uh, we're, we're understanding more scripture, we're gaining more knowledge, and yet we're becoming more impatient and irritated. We become angry with those who disagree with us or those that seem to slow our efforts to expand the kingdom of God. The reason why I want to share this again, it was my personal devotion, and, and a lot of times I'll, I'll share my personal devotions with you just so you can get a picture. Like, I'm not preaching this at you, I'm preaching this to myself. 
Because as I was looking in the book of Numbers, Moses comes to a point where he is with the, the children of Israel. They're out in the wilderness and they're complaining again. They're complaining and they're saying there's no food out here. There's no water out here. And so Moses goes, Moses and his brother Aaron, they go to God and they fall down in the tent of meeting on their faces and say, Lord, what should we do? And then the Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Listen to speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses, look at what he does now. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm, and he struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out. What God said would happen did happen. Water gushed out in the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. This is powerful. There are a lot of leaders right now doing this, including myself. I love you guys. Sometimes you're rebels. (laughs) You rebels, come on, get your act together, right? We're supposed to be the church. And and, and this is what we see happening in the community right now of believers is people are banging the staff. He said, speak to the rock, and then the water will come out. Instead, Moses is like, I can't stand you guys. And he says, we, as if Moses is the one doing the miracles, as if Moses and Aaron are the ones that have the power. No, no. It's the Lord. See, this is the thing. Ministry productivity is not equivalent to spiritual maturity. It's just not. And I know I'm sounding really pessimistic right now. I I can see your faces right now. It's like, oh, my goodness, he's coming down hard, stepping on my toes, Pastor. But here's the thing. I don't want us to have shallow growth. It needs to be deep root work in our lives because here's the thing that happened to me during COVID is I'm, I, I was brought on as the connections pastor here at the church. We had one service at that time. At most, we were having 70 people in one service here in this community. And then I was brought on full time as the youth pastor. We had about six kids. This last Thursday, we had 40 kids here for youth program. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. We didn't have life groups or anything like that, we have over 120 people involved in our life groups right now here at the church. God is doing an incredible work in this church. But here's the thing that was happening. Last year at this time, we were growing. God was doing some amazing things, right? We went from six kids to 25 kids, and then COVID hit. Life groups, splat. Assimilation and connecting people to the church, no life groups. We got to go online. This face is not meant for online. <laughs> it, I'm always like, Val, Val, keep it from here up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but but th- th- I'm serious. I was frustrated. I was irritated. I was angry. And I realized how much I was leaning my weight on my ministry productivity. And that's why it's so important that we don't have shallow roots. We have deep roots. I realized that I had illusions of control. There were things that, that I was doing. It's like me and M- Moses going, like, see, what, look what we're doing. 
the illusions of control. We act like we're fighting for the Lord, but the root of it is that we're upset we've lost control. Or it's really out of fear of losing control. So you can function as a leader and yet be unteachable, insecure, defensive, and even arrogant. People can be right in their theological assessment, but still be wrong in their slander of others. So I need to share that today because slander and divisiveness is also a sin in Scripture. There are some things that, that we, we act like it's faith, but really it's, it's a root of pride. It's a root of frustration. I, I need to remind you of this. God doesn't need us to defend him. He doesn't. He wants us to represent him. Charles Spurgeon said this in, in his uh, 1886. Back in 1886, he said this in a sermon. Suppose a number of persons were to take into their heads that they had to defend a lion, full-grown king of the beasts. There he is in the cage, and here come all the soldiers of the army to fight for him. Well, I should suggest to them, if they would not object and feel that it was humbling to them, they should kindly stand back and open the door, let the lion out. I believe that would be the best way of defending him, for he would take care of himself. And the best apology for the gospel is to let the gospel out. Let the gospel out. You know, we, we, we use the, the Romans 1.16 as, as our battle cry. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, the second half says, because it is the power of God unto salvation. Allow the power of the gospel to do the work. Bob Goff, in his uh, recent book, Everybody Always, I love this guy, he's hysterical. He says, we don't need to send archers to the tower to protect baby Jesus every time someone hits a wrong note. Read the book of Revelation. He's out of the crib. <laughs> The desire to defend God often really comes from trying to defend ourselves, our own pride, security, control, and reputation. See, that's the paradox of faith, though. It's weird that you can be stronger and yet more humble, that you can be bold but still be at peace. You can be honest, but you can still be compassionate. You can be powerful and humble at the same time. The Bible says that God opposes the proud and gives favor to the humble. Let me remind you which two people said this and responded to this in Scripture. This was Peter, okay? Peter, and who's he writing it to? People who were suffering. And James, brother Jesus, who didn't even believe in his brother while he was alive, comes back and says this to people who are suffering. You look at both of them. Both of those scriptures say to the people that were scattered by persecution, God opposes the proud, but he gives favor to the humble. It's possible to do the right thing with the wrong attitude, to have the right words, but the wrong heart. What looks like faith isn't faith anymore. It's just compliance. You know, we think about uh, the fact that it's about example and invitation not about coercion and control. Coercion is not fruit of the Spirit. Love, well, imagine if it said this, love, joy, peace, patience, making people do what you know they need to do to grow. That is not fruit of the Spirit. Burning, Bob Goff also said this, burning down others' opinions doesn't make us right. It just makes us arsonists. <laughs> we act like Jesus wants us to police everyone else's fruit. 
while we're doing this, we're unintentionally sending roots in the wrong direction. Before long, our fruit looks much like theirs. There's a big question that I have for you. Do you spend more time inspecting fruits or sending roots? Inspecting fruits, which we are supposed to do that. Jesus said that we'd be known by our fruit, like that's how people are going to know. But how much time do you do that, inspecting others' fruits? How much time do you spend sending roots? Let me give you a really practical example. I think about as practical as I can get. My sister, she's 31 years old. I told you she had a baby when she was a teenager. She just, at 31 years old, got elected as into the school board for Harrisburg School District. Yeah, isn't that awesome? I am so proud of her. She's also the chief of staff of the second lady of Pennsylvania, Tom Wolf's wife. I have my own personal opinions and convictions about politics. Just want to be really clear about that. But I've got some deep roots with my sister. We disagree on a lot of different things. But man, I have seen that girl grow. She, she had a baby in high school. She finished college in four years with a journalism degree. She started her own business in Harrisburg, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Now she's the chief of staff of the second lady of the state. There are, there are some things, some deeper conversations and approaches that we need to have to our faith and to our situation. Short platitudes aren't going to get it done. I mean, think about, go back to the Apostle Paul when we talk about pain for a second. I mean, the Apostle Paul, this great apostle, prayed to the Lord three times for him to take away his pain. He said, I had a thorn in my flesh, and I prayed for him to take it away. And God didn't answer that prayer. This great apostle who, like, did all these amazing miracles, and he's like, God, please take away this pain that I'm having, this issue that I'm having. And let me, say, let me show you why God didn't. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up for a second. You know, I was just thinking as I close about a, a time when my wife and I, we went down to Sesame Place. Eden was, what, three years old probably, our daughter. And we went down to Sesame How many people have been to Sesame Place before? Yeah? Closest to hell I've ever been. <laughs> I'm sorry. i got to be honest. We went there, and I thought we were going to have a great time. Man, there were people from everywhere, all over the world. Man, my daughter was being so patient, and she was standing there. People butting in front of her and knock, almost knocking her over. I mean, the dad inside of me, I'm going to knock them out. We went to this one, like, dance party thing on the inside, and all I could think about was just, like, uppercutting Big Bird, you know, like, take him out. <laughs> knock him down. Elmo, stop laughing at me, buddy. <laughs> and I've, I'm serious. When I got in the car, I got in the car. And, uh, and Eden's in there, and I, I was frustrated. I was so mad. I did, not, I did not have a good day. And I actually remember saying this. I turned to my wife, and I said this statement. Does God really love those people? Serious. And the Holy Spirit, like, gripped my heart and goes, yes, the same way I love you. 
You know, Jesus convinced me with his love. That's how he convinced me. He demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's not just about digging up and removing bitterness and pride, but sending roots deep into his love and knowing the compassion that he has for us and the love and the patience that he has for you and me. Yes, you. Yes, me. Can't believe he still deals with me. See, if those around us consistently experience us as unapproachable, unsafe, defensive, rigid, angry, judgmental, Scripture actually declares us to be immature. I'm not saying that to like belittle anybody. I'm just saying that's the truth. That's what the word says. And remember what this parable was about. This is about repentance. It's about realizing that there's a root of pride in my life. There's a root of something that I've been trying to mask as faith, mask as, as love, but it's like Moses. It's, it's, it's the wrong attitude. Listen, Moses, think about this. Moses still went to heaven, okay? Moses still had great ministry productivity, but he didn't get to see the promises this side of heaven. I don't know about you. I want to see the promises this side of heaven that God has for me. I'm not okay with shallow roots. I'm not okay with just gaining a lot of people. I want to see what God can do in the deep areas of my life, of your life, of of the life of this church, his church. I love you guys. You can be rebels sometimes. (laughs) It's just true. And I'm learning this too. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul prays for the Ephesian church. I want to read you his prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge I mean, this love is actually more than knowledge. Like, you can't comprehend. I don't care how long you've been serving Jesus. You don't have it all figured out. You don't have all of his love figured out. You can still grow in your knowledge of God's love for you. And I want to encourage you to do this every single day. Examine your heart. Wake up and pray the prayer like David did. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Let me promise you, doing that on the front end is way better than having to repent of it on the back end. And I want to encourage you to do that this summer. I hope you have a great time on vacations. I hope that you, get, you have time with your families and everything. And, but but I, I, want, I want to encourage you to just be rooted deep this summer. That way, when the next storm comes, you're not like that tree that's just getting picked up and thrown away. No, that's not taking you anywhere. Instead, you're going to be scattering fruit. God has an incredible work that he wants to do in your life. It's a come-as-you-are gospel. But let me promise you, it's not going to leave you that way. Would you stand with me here this morning with the time we have left? 
We're going to sing this chorus one more time in a second, but I want to ask you that question one more time. Do you spend more time inspecting fruits or sending roots? I just encourage you, send some roots out this summer. Don't take a vacation from your faith. You know, what was interesting about some of the other trees as I was looking out across the landscape, that tree was by itself. Sure, it looked big. Sure, it did a lot of things. Those other trees, their roots were just intertwined with one another. We saw somebody trying to hack down bamboo the other day. We're like, good luck, buddy, you know. Because, you know, the root system on that thing is all connected. Don't, don't miss the opportunities to be in relationship with the people of God this summer. To be in relationship with the church. I want to pray for you. Would you just close your eyes and, and bow your heads for this moment? Father God, I thank you, Lord, that you want to do a deep work in our lives. I thank you, God, that the things that you do for us are so much deeper than even knowledge, God. The things that we can't even comprehend or understand, Lord, we need you to help us, God. We repent right now, God. I repent right now of my bitterness and pride and arrogance. God, I I want to see the promises that you have for me this side of heaven. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that these people that are here today within the sound of my voice would feel your loving arms wrap around them, God, to remind them how patient you are with them. How sometimes, Lord, the poop in their life, the manure in their life needs to be absorbed, God, deeply so that a root work would be done and that we would see fruit fruit, Lord, everlasting fruit, that we would continue to bear fruit. God, we give you praise for.